This episode is brought to you by Roundtable Group, the experts on experts. We've been connecting attorneys with experts for over 25 years. Find out more at roundtablegroup.com. My guest today is Dr. Nathaniel Herr, an associate professor of psychology at American University. If you could please share a little bit about your background and um, areas of expertise. Sure. I'm a clinical psychologist. Um, I have a PhD from the University of California, Los Angeles. Um, I did uh, an internship and postdoctoral work at Duke University Medical Center, and I'm currently an associate professor of psychology at American University in Washington, D.C. Um, my research lab is the Interpersonal Emotion Lab, and as it sounds like, we focus on uh, topics. We, we study uh, things that are related to how our emotions influence our interpersonal relationships, and really importantly, how our interpersonal relationships influence our emotions. That must apply across so many fields of work, right? I mean, in, in regular jobs, your relationship at home, um, everything else. So it's definitely something that is useful to apply. Do you find that workplaces often utilize or refer to information that you guys put out there? Yeah, I think that's... Uh... It's certainly one of the fun things about working in, in psychology and in these topics is that even though we have our own niche and, and areas of expertise, a lot of other fields and, and inter people interested in all sorts of other areas find out, find this to be applicable. So uh, yes, uh, we, we do see applications of this in, in, in business and in, in law and uh, in other fields altogether that that just can that need the connection understanding how humans can connect together or understand each other better and so it's nice to be able to appeal to a broad a broad group of folks in addition to the uh hyper focused groups that i'm more familiar with when i go to conferences or something like that yeah well i was going to say even 20 years ago in the workforce you really didn't hear about social emotional learning it just or sel so it was something that was like oh that makes sense that's kind of common sense but i feel like there's a there's a drive and there's a focus especially at least in the public schools i definitely see an emphasis on that and in turn um yeah everyday life mm -hmm. so it definitely has a platform now um would yeah. you say that's true or has it always just kind of been there and maybe just not mainstream yeah i think so i mean i think starting probably in the uh, last 30 years or so of a focus on emotional intelligence and looking at these alternative versions of intelligence that people have beyond just uh, you know knowing a lot of words or or how to do complex math problems and realizing there are always other kind of ways that people can excel and have intelligence in other areas and emotional intelligence really rose out of that to say hey this is a skill that some people have and can be developed and I think, but I don't think before the 1980s, you usually saw too much of that being discussed. Right. Now, you um, recently had one of a keynote speaker at mm -hmm. a securities roundtable conference in Washington, D.C. And I had in attendance some of my coworkers and colleagues, and they were very impressed. Can you share a little bit about that speech and how that applied to being an expert witness? Sure. It was a really fun experience. It, you know, it was a surprise to... to had that invitation and it and it was a challenge for me at that moment to think, what can I say to this group of folks that I don't interact with on a regular basis? You know, will this be an audience that will uh, care about these topics? Um, and I think it turned out the answer to that was yes. And what uh, <clears throat> what I enjoyed was was really thinking through the way that some of the the fundamental research in my field can be applied 
in other areas, such as um, with how the focus of what I discussed was how a uh, an expert witness um, can present themselves in ways that make their message more or unfortunately less palatable to a jury, to a judge or other interested parties who are observing them, you know, nothing about the actual value of the content they're delivering, but just highlighting that the way that the content is delivered, the demeanor, the, the emotions that are displayed, the facial expressions, um, that those things really do matter a lot and can convince someone, especially who isn't an, who isn't an expert. The expert witness is the expert in the area. If they're trying to convince other experts, it's likely that a whole host of facts and evidence is going to be the, the biggest factor there. But when discussing with an audience uh, who may not be an expert in that area, um, who could be intelligent, but in a completely different domain, um, a lot of times these other types of, uh, of factors play a role, just sort of how someone carries themselves. Do they look like an expert? Are they acting like an expert? Expert? Do they seem uh, over they seem over emotional or or knocked off balance by a, a cross examination quickly or easily uh, those types of things will affect the perception of truth or, or falsehood of their statements right and you've actually shared uh, a personal story when you were a juror mm -hmm. and if you can kind of dive back into that story a little bit as far as your impression of being sure. an expert Sure. I mean, the one thing I could draw from with my own experience, yes, as a juror, while I was in graduate school um, in psychology, I was asked to be a juror, and and um, this was in Los Angeles. And it was it was basically a case of a fender bender between two quite wealthy individuals who each had uh, uh, high powered lawyers, um, and it ended up being a five day jury trial to determine damages for this car accident, um, and. Uh, the key part of the trial was that each one had brought an expert me medical witness, essentially um, someone who was would go over the the medical documentation with the jury to explain why their party was uh, more or less culpable for this. What struck me in the in the time was that one of the witnesses was accurate and and, and professional, but maybe even came across as a little bit grating and nitpicky. Um, he kind of pulled out these big blown up versions of medical documents and highlighted how the, the nurses had maybe mislabeled something or uh, written the wrong date on something um, and and mo moved where the location slightly of an injury from one day to the next on a, on a doc on a diagram. And it it felt um, I think people the jury's reaction to me as we would discuss it later on and at lunch or something like that, he seemed kind of like, Harsh. Then contrast that with the witness for the other side <laughs> that that came and and said and he was sort of light and funny and, and kind of loose seeming. Um, also still delivering facts and 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 at least the facts that he wanted to highlight there. Um, but there were times when he would kind of have he would the 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 lawyer the cross examination would kind of try to rattle him a little bit and he kind of could make a little small joke and move on and it didn't ever seem to get rattled that much. Um, and there were times when the jury actually laughed at something he said. And in a, and really over a five-day period, it was overall pretty boring for the jurors. Most of the times, this was arguably a highlight of the whole thing was this comic relief or there's a little bit of lightness to it. It felt like, hey, this is kind of, I can just pay attention to this. So I think reflecting back on that, realizing that I 
don't really have, I'm not an expert in, in, in whether an arm nerve damage in the arm is long lasting or, or just temporary. And I didn't know having two different opinions, but I couldn't easily evaluate the difference of the, in their um, medical arguments, but I felt myself more compelled toward the, the expert that just had a, a more pleasant and uh, easygoing demeanor. Um, and I, that's where that was sort of that got me thinking about this topic here of, of like, it doesn't, the facts in this case, maybe, maybe there were viable facts on both sides, but the jury ended up leaning toward that person's argument and, and really awarded a very small amount of money that was compared to what was being asked for. And I think a lot of it had to do with the demeanor of the expert witness, not even as much as the facts that the, that the expert witness was presenting. Right. It's almost, you know, um, being, amicable or approachable. And also as an expert witness, being able to take something that's very like high level and journey level, right? Like yeah. a regular jurors aren't going to be all electrical engineers and understand the complexities. Definitely medical doctors, the same thing. Yeah. Um, so that's always something that's huge and that's important that I find that our attorney clients are also looking for experts that hold themselves to that ability yeah. right? to communicate yeah. across bunch of different people. So really quickly, let's just touch on jurors. Um, I know that, you know, when there is jury selection, a lot of times the attorneys will kind of read a room. Yeah. And, you know, there could be that consulting with psychologist or someone who can do body language. That's very important. Um, you did talk about universal hmm. facial expressions, right? Yeah. What happened to that for me? So, um, well, in terms of the universal facial expressions, it comes from um, some research by Paul Ekman, who uh, is probably most, at least in the public eye, famous for being um, uh, an inspiration for the TV show Lie to Me that was on a few years ago. Um, and, and his work, one of the key findings that he had initially that, that really uh, launched a lot of his, his more recent work um, was that he found he, he had Stanford students um, pose different emotional faces, like look angry, look sad, look, uh, look happy, and took pictures of these, um, these students. And then he had access to a, a, a tribe of native individuals in New Guinea who had had very limited contact. They were uh, a kind of, of people that didn't have contact with mainstream society, lived in an isolated area, but then had more recently been sort of uh, interacted with by society and he was able to access this group and took these pictures over to them and had you know through a translator was able to establish that some of these images uh, those in, those individuals recognized the emotions on the Stanford students he also took pictures of of those folks in New Guinea and brought those pictures back to Stanford and found there's a mutual agreement that like this is what a happy face looks like and, and he kind of identified these six core uh, facial expressions that are universally understood by humans, regardless of language and and exposure, and that would be happy <clears throat> or happiness, uh, anger, sadness, disgust, surprise, and uh, fear. So, you know, we start often there with those core emotions when we're trying to build up to what is the we feel like we have this huge diversity of emotions, and we do, but a lot of them are sort of different grades or, or admixtures of those core emotions when we really think about it. You know, what is uh, rage is an intense version of anger, of course, but there might be things like jealousy that is is there and it's some combination of, I don't know, anxiety and, uh, and sadness and anger maybe all combined together. Um, so 
so I think that's that's where that research comes from, and and that's uh, that was what I was referencing in that talk. Yeah. Well, what about if you can walk into like just maybe everyday kind of mm -hmm. what you do, and and how would you bring awareness of interpersonal relationships in the business world, <laughs> or maybe some key topics that you usually cover sure. or highlight? Sure. Well, I think that uh, one thing that we teach for for folks, um, you know, I'm I'm a clinician, and so a lot of you, you know, a lot of what I do, um, at least right now, I, I train others and and train students in becoming clinicians. Previous to that, I, I did the in the room clinical work, and one of the things, one of the techniques we we teach people is is in being a, effective interpersonally, how to how to be interpersonally effective, and we highlight that we might have. That we often have in a given situation different uh, demands that pull on us. We kind of parse it into three zones. Like uh, the, there's actually the goal at hand. You know, like I want someone to um, give me this document that I need, and so that's my objective. And then we have potentially a relationship goal. And that's sort of like how do we want that person to feel about us at the end of this interaction? And then we have a self-respect goal. How do I want to feel about myself at the end of this interaction? A lot of times we attend really highly to the objective. I need to get this objective met, especially probably in the business world where it's often about, you know, it's the it's what what happens that matters the most. However, um, there are times when we want to think about those other two things of saying, you know, if I'm going to at all costs get my objective met, is it possible I'm going to burn this relationship to the ground, you know, that will prevent me from getting something in the future or or reflect badly on on me in other contexts or something like that um is are there other times when we might want to uh consider whether we're willing to give up the main objective if it if the only alternative is to completely damage this important relationship um and then the self-respect thing too of like how do you want to feel about yourself at the end of this interaction if you um get what you want but in a in a way that is unethical against your morals or your values where you're going to just feel like you've you know crossed your own lines um is that really going to be a, a an ultimately effective strategy in your life in your work going forward and so we actually you know we'll ask someone to just reflect on on here's a situation reflect on these three kind of zones in terms of planning out how you might approach it so that you at least acknowledge that it isn't just good about getting what you want entirely. It could be in the end, you look at the other two and say, well, I don't really mind. That's maybe the way we approach, you know, when we talk to Verizon customer service and we want them to take off a charge that, was un that wasn't there. We don't really care about the relationship. We might not even care how we, you know, we might do it in a really angry or uh, embarrassing way, but, it, you know, so we wouldn't like love the way we look to ourselves even, but in there, we, we kind of are willing to put those things aside. But that may not be true in every relationship that we're having in our in our offices or between offices and, and things like that. And so you just want to consider those things rather than just trying to be kind of a cutthroat. I'm going to get what I want no matter what, because there may be longer term negative consequences that you're not expecting or, or thinking about at that moment. So do you guys provide um, or or think out just tools of how yeah. to be the best? I mean, so what's some highlights there of sure. what to do? <laughs> sure. Um, if I focus on the things about the, the relationship part of it, um, it's things like, like, how do you, if I want to have an interaction with somebody where I want them to come out feeling better about me, about our relationship in the end, 
Um, it seems sometimes these seem a little bit obvious, but they're things that are important to keep in our mind. Being a good listener in those situations is important. A, a big thing we call validation um, is is really critical. So sort of reflecting back what someone says to you, um, uh, being able to say like, I understand exactly where you're coming from there. Um, uh, that's a that's a great idea. Even if the next statement is, and I have this other thought too, you know, starting off with a validation of the other person's perspective is is a really good way of, of drawing someone to in rather than pushing them away. Um, we talk about acting interested. So with the important word there being act that you don't have to, you don't have to actually be interested in what they're talking about. But if you want the relationship to go well, you should act interested. That's something that probably most people who are in a committed relationship might acknowledge that there are times when it's best to act interested, regardless of whether you really are interested in that, that applies in our business relationships as well. You know, yeah. if we're always distracted and um, if you're on a Zoom meeting with somebody and you're looking at all the other right. things on your computer, you know, <laughs> you kind of don't, you're not acting interested. You're not, you're really not enacting it. It's going to come across. And that just sort of, at best, it holds those relationships at neutral. At worst, it can actually start to, to create distance and problems there. So anyway, I think those are some of the key things there. Um, I mean, I could go over some of how to get your objectives met, but a lot of that, I think, is the stuff that people know the best, um, being like a broken record, not getting distracted by when someone tries to throw you off track of the main point of what you're talking about, bringing you back to the theme of what you're discussing, um, clearly describing the situation and expressing how you feel about it um, are all key parts of that. Um, in terms of self-respect, I think there it's taking an inventory of what you value, um, what you, um, you know, where, what you think is right for you, your ethics and your own values and making sure that you have thought about those things and then not being willing to cross that kind of no matter what, sort of drawing a, a firm line in the sand and saying like, this is, this is what I'm gonna do. Um, some of that also can look like how you carry yourself, talking clearly, making eye contact, um, being some of our, our self-confidence aspects of things come into that. That will help you leave an interaction feeling good about how you handled it, regardless of if you got what you want, regardless of whether the relationship is better for it. You can come out feeling like I kept my head held high. I stuck to what I believe in and value. And therefore, you know, I still see that I'm on the right track, even if that interaction didn't go the way I wanted to. Um, I, I know that I haven't diverged from my own values and beliefs. Yeah. Well, I want to go back to yeah. again, part of your speech and there was one quote and I can't find it immediately, but it did talk about, um, and oh, here it is. An aggressive mm -hmm. witness is an effective witness. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I think that's very true. And kind of what you just talked about some of the tools, you know, how you build those interpersonal relationships and business, even at home. Uh, and how that can apply even as an expert witness. So if you could talk to me a little bit about that statement, you know? Yeah, um, I think that, uh, so anger tend, for humans, anger tends to bring out anger in others. Like it's sort of like a reflecting type of emotion. Um, friendliness tends to breed friendliness and hostility tends to breed hostility. And so when someone is an angry witness, they might think that it's something that will like show the, the, the strength of their argument, but it often makes people get in. It, it puts the jury in the mindset. I, I, in my, my read on this, um, it puts the jury in the mindset of, 
arguing back with that person. And once it's once they become argumentative, your mind starts to make the opposite argument or just engage in the fight almost. It's like it sets off the, you know, their own sort of, it's not like it's full on anger and rage, but it does set across an ang their antagonistic, your antagonistic parts start to brew up a little bit. And that's going to bring up, well, maybe they're wrong because of this. Maybe they're wrong because of that. And that's really not what I think you would want in an expert witness. I have uh, read uh, in reading through this in preparation for that talk um, that one instance of, of, of anger can be useful. And that is in cases of when the expert witness is being personally, personally attacked. You know, if the lawyer takes an approach to try to discredit them at a very personal level, then that sort of angry, indignant approach is what people would expect. And um, if you don't do that, it almost it can be seen as like a uh, acknowledgement of the truth or va value of this counter thing that you know that there you really aren't. So there's maybe some moments when anger uh, communicate uh, effectively, but for a lot of the times it, it sets up a kind of a competition, and unfortunately the jury often ends up on the other side of that of, that, of the expert um, because they're kind of hearing it, so then they are coming back at that person. Um, I think that was that was the source of that idea that an angry witness is an ineffective witness. Yeah, no, it's very um, insightful and truthful, right? I mean, again, kind of common sense, but at the same time, maybe people don't prepare themselves to think about what they're going to say in every situation. Yeah. Um, well, this has been great. Do you have any last kind of comments in general um, about being an expert witness as it applies to psychology yeah. and whatnot? Yeah, I think um, one of the challenges of like managing your emotions on the stand or otherwise is that it in the moment it's it can be really really hard. You know, saying it's all well and good to say being an angry witness is a problem, but anger can just come up out of you know it's like someone else is triggering it and it just emerges in that moment. And so um, you know, give uh, credibility to I guess being able to be aware of and try to, at least for short periods of time, hold back expressions of those emotions. It's sort of like a muscle you build up, like you would at going to the gym to build up your your arm muscles or leg muscles. Um, it's, it's something that between those big moments, you wanna be attending to your own emotional states and other sort of low stakes situations. And being, and, and um, certainly people would encourage engaging in mindfulness practice, but not just five minutes before going on the stand, really more regular leading up to that as a way of building up that ability, that muscle to stay in the moment and not allow the emotions to just guide your behavior right away. Um, but it doesn't always have to be mindfulness. It's, it can be just something more like awareness. When you're driving to work in traffic, you can use that as a perfect opportunity to just take stock. What am I feeling now? What's going through my head? Am I anxious about where I'm going? Am I angry at all these other cars? And that's just the more you're doing that, the more you're stepping out of those emotions, not letting so emotions push behavior and they, they want behavior to happen. And the more you can uh, be aware of those emotions, the more you can make that choice using all of our human brains uh, to say, mm, I don't I hear that part of my brain telling me that, that to do this, to run away, to lash out. Um, but I'm going to choose and at least for the moment to not do that. I think that type of like workout for the mind will make you in a better place on the stand rather than thinking like in the moment I can will it to happen. Yeah, I, um, I feel very rejuvenated and very positive right now. Like I feel like I'm tackle everything. <laughs> Thank you. Perfect. <laughs> well, I appreciate all your insights and tips and your time. So thank you for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. 
Thank you for listening to our podcast, Discussions at Roundtable. Our show notes are available on our website, roundtablegroup.com. Subscribe today on Apple Podcasts or your favorite listening apps. 